How's it going, comrades? You are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debug myths taught in school and on corporate media. My name is JD, and this is my co-host, Isha. Today we are speaking with Henrik Ullman, who studies media science at NTNU, about the rise of white nationalism, which culminated in the deadliest terror to a massacre in Norway. Let's start the show. Hello, everyone. So, today we'll be talking about the recent history of Norway and how the rise of the right happened. Norway is a unique has a unique history because it is one of the OPEC countries and not a member of the European Union. And because so much of their revenue is dependent on oil, the 2008 financial crisis didn't hit Norway that hard. And since they're not in the Eurozone, it, they didn't have to deal with the same kind of austerity, which makes Norway a curious case about the rise of white nationalism. Norway has managed a social democracy and a welfare state. And ironically, you need a large labor force in order to a participation in order to like keep the money flowing for the welfare states like we have to have like a, a big portion of workers who then fund the older people so they do need more immigrants yet ironically norway has had a strong white nationalist anti-immigrant movement and now heinrich is going to talk about the history and also we'll talk about the horrible massacre that happened nearly seven years ago. One thing I'm really curious, like, where did this, like, uh, extreme white nationalism pop up from? Like, was it recent? Has it always been in the surface? And are they bolder? Like, what's going on that's different? Um, Well, thankfully, thank our, we have a lot of right-wing, like, anti-immigrant organizations in Norway, and those aren't very good at cooperating. So, thankfully, we have um the most of uh we have avoided a lot of stuff because they haven't organized uh like they can for example in the us or in the uk so wait, wait, wait can you explain the us and uk part again I... we, um in norway we don't we don't have a a like an an anti have we don't have like a a right-wing bigots movement of racists because that movement is often crumbling because they can't figure out how to really do anything. When they, when for example, the anti-Muslim organization Sion tries to tries to organize rallies, no, almost no people show up, and a lot of protesters show up to condemn their. Uh, racist speech. Okay, example. so, so um, and, and in in the parliament, like, how much power? How many seats do they have? How much power do they have? Well, the closest you can get to a right wing bigot party would be the Progress Party, which mm-hmm. is a yeah, fairly big, <laughs> fairly fairly big party. Um, they sit in government with uh, the conservatives and. And the Liberal Party. So um, they're in, are they in the majority coalition? Yeah, uh, sort of. Um, so our elections were last year, and people wanted 
obviously to have a new change because this government is abhorrent and truly horrid against everyone, really, in my opinion. Okay, so from you guys had the Labour Party from October 2005 to October 2013, right? Yeah, and throughout, throughout that whole period, uh, it was a government consisting of the Central Party, the Labour Party, and the Socialist Left Party. And it was all, it lasted as a majority government throughout the whole period, albeit um, from the first, from the first four years, from 2005 to 2009, they had a way bigger majority than they had from 2009 to 2013. Okay, so how did the 2013, how did the conservative uh, co coalition, like how many parties make that coalition? So in the fir in f first, we had um, the two biggest parties ended up being Heire, which is the conservative party, and FFP, which is the Progress Party. That's the White Nationalist Party. Yeah, they're, they are almost like a right-wing populist party. Uh, so they... Uh, I often uh, draw, draw similar lines in my head and compare it to the Republican Party because they are very much alike in their policies. Uh, they describe themselves as right-wing libertarian. Oh, my... And because of this, this is a theory that I just made up yesterday that JD is kind of in a gut check, but we feel like the Koch brothers are behind this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. You were pretty much, uh, I wouldn't say up all night. So I. Well, I could, I could tell a little bit of their history. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a party with rich history of racism and being anti -immigr immigrant in general. The claims. Uh, back in 1970, leading up to general election in 1973, was that FRP, the Progress Party, received a lot of money from the apartheid regime in South Africa oh. to boost their uh, elections. Interesting. When finally our parliament decided to boycott the South African regime in 1987, the Progress Party stood ground and voted against boycotting uh, the, the apartheid regime. That's mighty interesting because um, the John Birch Society also heavily funded, uh, like they actually, it went the opposite way. They funded apartheid South Africa and funded like all these articles in support of apartheid. But yeah, this is just a theory that JD and I have cooked up. And if there's like anyone who's listening who can kind of help us or give us more light on this, we'd love for input. Mm. <laughs> And leading up to our local elections in 1987, their party leader, uh, which their party leader at the time until, and he lasted for a long time until 2005, he read, Carly Hagen, he read a letter from a Muslim immigrant called Mustafa. Oh, I, I know the Mustafa letter. That's like a totally fake letter, right? Yeah. It's a very, it's a forged letter that claimed that Muslims and other immigrants wanted to take over the country. And and they wanted to replace the fucking churches with mosques. Uh, okay, so, so so let's talk about the Mustafa letter because I remember this because it was so ridiculous that it even made it to news in India and everyone was laughing about it. But yeah. so so um, 
Okay, so l- let me read what um, the alleged Mustafa letter said. To yeah. Carl I. Hagen. Yeah. Okay, why would he... <laughs> when you're writing a letter, how many of us have written a letter to John Daniel Knowles instead of JD or John? <laughs> yeah. yeah, normally if someone's like to John Daniel Knowles, it's the government or someone I owe money to, so I just ignore it. No. Yeah, yeah, and so <laughs> that part itself like, kind of uh, seems fake to me. Yeah, it's, it's so it's so dumb. Um... Oh, okay. Wait, wait. It reminds me of the. Uh, um, are you familiar with when the fake Antifa manual went around? No. The... Oh, oh, oh. So, um, what? This was like a year and a half ago, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Someone scanned a, and it was really obviously photoshopped, but it was made to look like it was done with a typewriter and had a coffee ring on it, and it was used a lot of anachronistic language and stuff that because it's like all oh, this has been passed down by for a hundred years or whatever for spreading cultural marxism or whatever yeah. stupid um yeah. right-wing nonsense okay okay so and then it says from muhammad musta okay let me start over with the letter to hmm. carl i hagen um Stupid. first of all like no one uh, writes a letter like this, okay. And then it mm. says, To Carl I. Hagen, Stortengett from Mohammed Mustafa, under Hoxvayen 150352 Oslo 2. The first yeah. paragraph of the letter, Allah is Allah and Muhammad is the prophet. Oh my God. Uh, uh, okay, that sounds... <laughs> why would... Well, why would you say God is God, God is God, like that doesn't even make sense. No. Okay, so then it goes. You struggle in vain, Mister Hagen. Islam is the only true faith, and will gain victory here in Norway too. One day, mosques will be as common in Norway as churches are today, and my great grandchildren will experience this. I know, and all Muslims in Norway know, that the population of Norway will come to the faith, and that this country will be Muslim. We give birth. Oh my God. We give birth to more children than you. See, that's what they're scared of. Like that's the thing with white nationalists is none of them can get laid. Yeah. So, so they're all worried that everyone's um, outbreeding them or whatever. Well, yeah. okay. Yeah. Exactly. Like, if you can't get, if, like, Norwegian women don't find you attractive, it's probably because you are a horrible racist, and that's probably why they're dating people from the Middle East and Africa and Asia. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, sorry, that part, okay, so th- that part sounds like, like, it's such a, sounds like something you, a real person would say. And yeah, this, this whole, this whole, this whole letter sounds like a, like a Republican boomer meme. Like, yeah. It's, it's got all the conspiracies in one. It's unbelievable. And several true believing Muslims arrive in Norway every year. Men in productive age. Oh. One day the infidel crossing the flag shall also go away. What is going on? That's what the letter on every little little thing that um this particular like right-wing fascist like authoritarian mindset like every one of their fears 
Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the, so Carl uh, Hagen claimed he got this letter, right? Yeah, he claimed it. Uh, it was a letter. Um, our newspaper, our biggest newspaper, Vegia, soon claimed that they would prove that the letter was false because it had an address with full name. So they tried to contact this alleged Mohammed Mustafa to investigate the matter. He had refused to send send the letter at all, which you know I would not send a letter to that not Carly Hagen because he is known in Norway as being. I would to draw again like similar lines to the U.S. He would probably be described as like a Donald Trump before Donald Trump was a thing. He's a complete idiot, like. And Mustafa uh, didn't even live there, right? No. He, and Mustafa reportedly expressed that he felt exploited by Hagen and he considered legal steps. So in late 1987, he filed a uh, lawsuit against Hagen and they came to a, a settlement between the two parties. And it was like for 500,000 kroner, kroners. That's yeah. your currency, right? Yeah, and that's, that's a currency. That would be a lot at that time in 1987. Okay. Oddly enough... This letter kind of did work because they got the FR, the FRV, FRP. Yeah. Um, the FRP got like the double number of parliament seats, right? Yeah, the double their share of votes, which you know, you can pay the price. You can pay the price of five hundred thousand kroner if you can double your share of votes and. Okay. Um. Okay. So on a side note, um, how exactly is our elections funded in Norway? Is it? Does the government have public money or is it funded by individual donors? Like, how does it work? So, and in general, on the left, the parties that were in the majority government from 2005 to 2013, they get money from the unions, mm -hmm. which, stand, which stand together behind the Red-Green Coalition, which is what is named in Norway. Mm -hmm. While the right-wing parties tend to get a lot of money from the rich uh, people in Norway. Uh, so rich, rich individuals gave a lot of money to the Progress Party and the Conservatives to keep the election going. Okay, I have a quick question. Are these donations public? Like, are you able to tell? Yeah, everything is public about this, I believe. Okay, so, okay, we'll put the um, website on the show notes in the bottom. Um, and so, oh, for me, it seems like the campaign funding is very much like America's, but mm -hmm. how come you guys have, don't have the same, same kind of election problems we do? Like, what, what keeps it from being corrupt? I'm not sure. Um, it's like everyone in Norway gets a chance to vote, and it's not, it doesn't, it might it might well be corrupt for all I know. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't have a lot of knowledge about it. It's like uh, most people tend to vote here, and um, we end up with. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Okay, really. okay. Uh, um, so okay, uh, one more side question. This is actually kind of interesting. Is there like a is, are there rules regarding advertising like? Do, do both parties need the same time on TV or, or can they, like, is there a rule about posters or campaigning or anything like that in Norway? Mm, there's, I don't think so. There is, um, 
we tend to give all the parties equal time. And oh, okay. So the, on TV, they do get the equal time, but that's not true? Yeah, it's basically out of our conventions, um, our kind of rules. Um, but the Labour Party and the Progress Party and the Conservatives tend to get a lot more attention because they are the biggest parties. Uh, a lot of people, when they hear the term liberals and when they hear people criticize liberals, they think, oh, they must hate gay people or black people or whatever when they don't mm -hmm. uh, understand what a, like a, what a liberal is versus a, prog a progressive or yeah, et cetera. In Australia, for example, the right-wing party is called a liberal party and then they have a labor party. So, yeah, around the world, usually, and in England too, the liberal party, they're all like kind of right of center. So... It it's really leads to cultural confusions. Yeah, I get okay. you. It's like it's it's very confusing uh, because uh, the first part of the name actually means progress, but when when you look at their horrible policies, they're not at all. So we tend to joke a lot about their name because they are not they are not like it at all. So I googled um, how much money. The, uh, each party used in the election last year. So about 100 million uh, kroner was God. used. How much is that in dollars? Uh, 95 million. That would be like... Wow. So, okay, okay. That is like com that is actually pretty huge com in relation... Like Norway has a population of 4, mil four or 5 million or 6 million, like something like that. And you guys used one-tenth of what we use, which is about a billion. So that is super high for Nor like in proportion to the number of people you have in Norway. Yeah. I don't know how the conversion rate would be from kroner to dollars, but it's about it is about ten million dollars, I would believe, in total. And the smaller parties tend to use less money because they don't have as much money as uh, the bigger parties. They spent $12 million in last year's election. Hmm. All the parties in total spent that Oh, much. okay. Yeah. So uh, the, the Conservative Party and the Labour Party uh, had stood for about half of that because they are the traditional big parties in Norway. Let's go back to 1980. Like, it was 1987 the time hmm. when FRP got, like, a lot of votes like is that was that when they made a made a breakthrough or like i'm not totally sure i could check it up um it's it's a bit behind my my time i'm born in 1996 i can look here's the the general election in 1985 they were they had 3.7 percent of the vote share okay well go ahead now, can you compare that with like 90, 1997? What was the FRP's vote share? I could look. I could, I could compare it to the next general election, and okay. that's a, it's a huge difference here. They got plus point nine. No, they got nine point three percent more in total vote share. So thirteen percent of this, the country. And in between this time, the Mustafa letter happened, right? Yeah. Okay, but. But the conservative parties back then refused to form a coalition with them, right? Mm. It, it, it's fine if you don't know. We'll, we'll move on. It, it seems like 
since 2013, the they are in the coalition government. Like, mm. what changed? Like, what changed in Norway that allowed them to get so many seats and also be in the uh, be in the majority coalition? Yeah. So the way it works right now is that we have uh, since. 2013, we have a minority coalition. Co- ah. So, uh, Ernest Solberg of the Conservative Party had to go to FRP to uh, seal her coalition, to seal to seal their power. A lot like what Theresa May did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because uh, after eight years with the last with the last government, we. The voters felt like there was time for a change. So while FRP uh, lost, actually kind of lost a lot of votes uh, compared to the last election before that. Which um, number? Which year? In, two th- in 2013. 2013, uh, FR- FRP uh, lost a few, a few percentage points. Uh, but mm. is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, um, but but between twenty thirteen, uh, between two th- between like two thousand five and twenty thirteen, the shoot the the shooting massacre happened with Breivik. Um, mm. So f- first of all, um, I, I know it's difficult for you, but let I, I just want to get the background for it. Um, mm. So so let's move back to around two thousand nine. Mm. Was there a big right-wing movement in Norway? Yeah, um, going up to the, coming up to the, uh, right after the 2005 election, the, the FRP, FRP was mm. at around, was on the polls around 33%. So they were a big party. Uh, what co- do, you know, do you know what caused that rise? Like, was there a material condition? Was there like propaganda? Like, what was it? What was it that caused that rise? It's a complicated uh, situation because it's it's a it's a set of many things. Uh, one of which is that we were. It's kind of hard to remember all this since I. It, it's fine. Did, yeah. We'll cut out whatever you, you don't remember. So just. Yeah, the FRP is always has was up until 2013 seen as a like a kind of an outsider kind of party because they had they have never up up till this point in 2009 they had never been in government uh, compared to the rest and the rest of the parties were that were in our parliament had been in governments so they kind of they kind of wrote this uh, wave of being right-wing populists in their message about anti-immigration and uh, elder care and their like uh, kind but, of bigot policies. But the thing about elder care is you can't lower taxes and still have elder care. Like you choose. So I don't understand how they can have both of that. Yeah. Um, so they wrote it's. It's a very complicated situation because um, most uh, people actually just that I know on the left rejects uh, FRP on 
many grounds because they uh, because they are just they are they are bigoted they are they most many of their local members can spew out racist uh, stuff whenever they want to and when you see the polls kind of go back in their favor they tend to go out in media and say something very controversial to make up for it if you get me and, and, absolutely yeah. um, okay so uh, okay so um uh, at this point like until now let's go go to around 2009 around 2009 at this point are there a lot of like young men that these people have been able to reach or like something or anything like that or is it like a different propaganda effort like i'm unsure again because i i was too young at the time uh, to okay. pay attention really okay so in 2000 oh, okay so okay so now oh, oh, obviously like when uh, so well, the impression I get from you is that Norway's, like around that time, Norway's right-wing movement was like getting more attraction and more attention in the media. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, um, and like for most of us in the world, we did not even, it just slipped through our tent until, Breivik, until the Breivik massacre happened. Mm. So um, what made, like what made Breivik Breivik, I guess. I, 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 well, obviously, he had a troubled youth. Um, his mom was apparently had borderline personality disorder, and she would abuse him psychologically. Um, so those are all uh, obviously bad things. Um, but then, like, it, how similar is Breivik's ideology to the FRPs? Yeah, um, they were the ones who were he went into the FRP party around uh, 2001 um, because I believe that is what um, his thoughts was most in line with their policies because they have always been like, they've always been like contrarian, they've been anti-immigrants, they've been, um, they've always been like an, in air quotes, an anti-establishment party, and okay, um, that that sounds that sounds very familiar to what's going on in the United yeah. States right now, as far as a lot of um, Trump supporters' yeah. rhetoric. Um, I, I see an article in Norwegian where, like, BBC called it the Breivik Party, and mm. um, and yeah, yeah um. The, the, the thing is, um, uh, in the aftermath, in the years after the Breivik massacre, um, uh, in the, so in the immediate aftermath, after the 2011 terror attacks, uh, it was revealed that Breivik was, had been a member of, the youth, of FRP's youth party and their main party. So in 2007, he was uh, not in the party anymore. So it's like four years before he does these attacks. At, yep, but, it, okay, so BC is mm. saying that Breivik entered the party in 1990. So he mm. was there for almost, eight, he was there for about eight years. Mm. 
Yeah, that is correct. Okay. And, um, um, do you think he got radicalized there, or was it just a party that um, accepted his views where other parties would have told him to go away? Like, what was it that attracted him to it? I think it has to be his a lot their policies and their rhetoric in uh, in the media and in and their policies in general about anti-immigration because the, the thing about why he went to Utøya and bombed the government quarters in Oslo was because um, he believed in this cultural Marxism. Uh, conspiracy theories. Okay, hold on. Um, let me actually read a portion of his manifesto on that. Like, it's this like ridiculous like, uh, I, and I'll put a link to it on the show notes. And if you yeah. guys want that um, cross also shows up a lot at uh, white nationalist rallies in the okay. United States, hmm. but more. I don't even, what, what does anyone know what compendium means? <laughs> compendium is like a set of texts, I believe. Oh, God. Okay, so there's more than one manifesto? It's like a big manifesto uh, that is comprised into, like, you can, you can like, uh, split it into three, three kind of main areas. So it was like, I read this yesterday about... Um, okay, so um, let me just quickly skim over just so that people understand. And he was, had been working on this manifesto for quite a while. Um, mm -hmm. So introduction, what is political correctness? And um, he and he seems to be like echoing Dave Rubin or Tim Harris. And I know we're going to get a lot of like uh, trolls because of this, but yeah. more or less. Yeah. And, and then he says, what exact? OK, so I'm just doing excerpts. What exactly mm -hmm. is political correctness? Marxists have used the term for at least 80 years as a broad term for general line of party. It could be said that political correctness is the general line of the establishment in Western European uh, countries today. Certainly no one would dare to contradict it. It can, it can be a member of that establishment, but that still does not tell us what it really is. Mm. Okay, so then he says, the only way any ideology can be understood is by looking at its historical origin. And the analysis in several key components, including its place in higher move education and its ties with the feminist movement. Yes. In so. Yeah. Okay. I just, I thought of this like a few days ago. He, he must have gone full insult at one point mm -hmm. because he, he acts and speaks like one so hard. Okay. So, um, and then like he goes on a big rant, but let me find his cultural, uh, okay, uh, I found the cultural Marxism. This seems uh, very familiar to Elliot Roger. I'm not sure if either you yeah. are familiar with him. He's one of uh, America's many mass yeah. shooters. Uh, well, there's so but many he had a... I, it just all blurs in my mind now. But he had a... Um... Like, God, it was like 800,000 word manifesto. Basically, it's basically the incel manifest, yeah. but um, very much goes into a lot of the, um, like, um, like cultural Marxism, conspiracy theories, and other random nonsense like that, and just kind of... Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was another one I'm trying yeah. to remember. Yeah, I can, I can try to sum up... Um... Well, okay, sum up, can you sum up what up. cultural Marxism means? Because many 
people who are not uh, it doesn't mean anything I, really to, what i what i can what i think of when i hear the hear the word is like it's like a conspiracy theory claiming that for example europe will be slaughtered uh, in air quotes by muslims jews and immigrants and it's also like just it's a dog whistle for many like right-wing bigots because it's just uh it's just a dog whistle for that and globalism is like a dog whistle for jews controlling the world and with cultural marxism a big part of it is this fear that oh like they're trying to it, like a lot of it comes down to how many kids people are having like there's a uh like uh when stormfront was still up and a lot of what was discussed um on websites like that was how oh they're going to move into your neighborhood and have a million kids kind of thing like that they, they it's it's used as a uh precursor to justify um uh almost said uh uh retarded but i i did I can't say things like that anymore. But um, I'm going to edit that out. But uh, just these... <laughs> okay. Um, um, one thing is, here's a personal but, uh, vendetta. So every time Breivik's manifesto is mentioned, I must... Um, okay. So there's an American... I don't know if you can call him journalist, quote, unquote, whatever. Um, like, right after the... like he, Right after the Breivik manifesto, he had a come-to-Jesus moment. And then he's been shilling for the de Democratic establishment. And he even tried to claim that Bernie Sanders was racist. But this is what Anders Breivik has to say about Charles Johnson. As Charles Johnson of American anti-jihad blog Little Green Footballs commented, journalists are no longer in the business of simply reporting facts and events. Increasingly, they see their job as activism. And the points of view they promote are invariably leftist and transnationalist, honest journalists will admit this outright. We see the, perni the pernicious effects of this information manipulation and filtering uh, are, uh, everywhere. And this is not the only time where Charles Johnson was cited. Uh, and then um, he said, as Charles Johnson of Little Green Football dryly com uh, commented, this is an interesting viewpoint. Only by receiving special treatment and instituting a med medieval religious code, legal code, can Muslims be treated equally. Wow. Okay, okay. this is just my personal vendetta because he, he tried to smear Bernie Sanders' racist. So at least Bernie Sanders coded by Breivik. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so he writes the same manifest. Yeah. Did he mail it to anyone? He mails it to, um, so two hours before he goes to Oslo uh, to bomb the government headquarters, he sends uh, this text, he sends this text in an email to a lot of uh, big uh, media in Norway. Um, so our biggest national newspapers and our, our national broadcast amongst others to kind of, it can be, the manifesto can be like, it can be, uh, split into three parts, which is the first is plagiarism from an American extreme right-wing think tank. I'm not sure of the name. Daddy, can you Google while uh, Henrik is talking? As on, I was, and the second part 
is also a set of political texts, amongst them the notorious bigot and anti-Muslim writer Peter Jensen, which is like, which is like a horrible uh, human being. Um, he's known as Fjordman, and he has he has this conspiracy theory about Eurabia. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've seen this uh, Jihad Watch oh, yeah. website. Uh before oh, several times. One of times. the scariest one is that it target. Okay, so uh, when I was working for Mal Hyman's campaign, Mal is Jewish, it, mm. uh, and he supports Palestine. So he had a lot of Muslim donors, and they actually had a hit list where it targeted all the Muslim donors. And the thing about it is that the FEC requires us to give their address, and mm. I was like very frightened. Um. Okay. Okay. Um. So, so he says there's Eurabia, like in this manifesto. Does by the way, an odd thing is that um, the Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire existed. It, there was kind of like a Arabian culture, but that was the time when you everyone had the Renaissance, where they invented so many things, right? And it, it was so long ago. That's the thing. Like the a lot of this is something I think about whenever um, when right wingers try to argue, like, oh the uh, British Empire was so long ago, but the British Empire still technically exists. Like, the Ottoman Empire hasn't... It's been gone for a hundred years, so people can kind of look back on it well, fondly. Um, one more, one more important thing for our American um, audience to note, this is what Breivik had to say about our founding fathers. The U.S. founding fathers feared mob rule and tried to insulate the elective representatives of Congress from what they perceived as fickleness of the general populace. I understand this viewpoint. We should be less religious about what is and what is not democracy. Democracy should never be a goal in itself, nor should all legislation be passed according to the whim of the majority at any given moment. The ideal is a balanced, well-functioning system. However, it isn't always the case that ordinary citizens are stupid and their leaders are wise. <laughs> It was, after all, the political elites in Europe who created political Arabia and not the general populace. The U.S. founding fathers in the 18th century did not fully foresee the possibility that the elected representatives could deliberately choose not to uphold their country's borders as they are doing in the United States vis-a-vis -vis Mexico in the 21st century. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in the manifesto, did he give any clues that he was going to go on a rampage or go post? Was there any clues? Yeah, the third part of uh, the manifesto is like him uh, explaining his... It's like him trying to explain his... Um, describes his plan to do the terror attack, as I understood it. I have not read too much into it because I... I would only deem it as kind of a not a waste of time, but like I wouldn't bother reading it because it's like conspiracies all over the place. Um, yeah, personally, uh, for me, like I would, I, I'm reading it just because it's interesting to see what motivated him. Yeah, yeah, and generally with manifestos, they don't necessarily end with and this is why i'm going to do this it's the because the act itself is supposed to speak ah, for okay. the manifesto like in that kind of um in the rationale that uh um like uh anyone who's 
uh, uh, like Timothy McVeigh, his manifesto didn't. I, uh, I well, I can't recall if it mentioned like the. Ah, uh, oh, crap! I can't remember the name of the building he bombed, but. Um, so to go back on, uh, why did he join um, FRP? He so in FRP, there's like uh, different fractions. There is like the liberal part of um, part of the FRP. There is like a conservative, and there's like there's like a conservative um, part, conservative part of the party, mm-hmm. and uh, like there are also many of them that unites through the anti-immigrant message. So just recently there was a, so when now they're in government, they kind of speak with two voices, if you get me. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's like an FRP uh, outside of the government and there's like an FRP uh, inside of the government. Okay, so kind of like, in America, how like Fox News says, out, or maybe even Breitbart actually, Breitbart yeah. says the most outrageous things, but Republican representatives don't say that, but Breitbart is signaling that these people believe this or will vote for this. Yeah, so um, just uh, the other week, uh, there was a, a representative from FRP that is from the same city as me, and I'm deeply ashamed of him. Uh, he t- he told on national television and on Facebook that we should get basically what is considered a Muslim paragraph in our constitution. Kind of like the Jewish paragraph from the 1814 constitution. Yeah, that's... Uh, um, okay, can you just quickly explain for Americans what the Jewish paragraph was in Norway? Yeah, uh, so the Jewish paragraph, um, in short, it was a paragraph that said that Jews were not allowed access to the kingdom of Norway. So they weren't allowed to enter? They weren't allowed to enter Norway, no. Okay, Okay. and so he wanted to have, and obviously that has been repealed, but he wanted to have a Muslim paragraph inserted into the constitution that was similar to that. Yeah, so he didn't say it. He didn't say it in clear terms. He did say it in some you could guess it if you read it closely, if you get me. Yep. So it's, it's like when Republicans could they, go on, on a rampage about black people and just covering up with dog whistles, if you get oh me. Oh yeah, like for example, when they say, we are strengthening our borders, it means let's keep all the brown people away. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, okay. So, um, okay, so let's go back to the day of the shooting. Um, Well, actually, let's do, uh, JD, can you please cut this, like, weirdness out? Um, Okay, so now let's go back to, apparently, um, according to, like, some Belarusian opposition figure, Mikhail Restetov, Andrew Ryvik underwent paramilitary training organized by Valery Lunev, and mm. Rastashanam also said Breivik visited Belarus three times and had lasting connections with the country. But mm. according to the Be- Belarus's like passport office, it only said he came once. So believe uh, believe what you will. But he had. But what we do know is he had training on how to use these weapons and how to make a bomb, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. 
um, one thing is in America, like it's not hard for us to stockpile on weapons because you can just go to Walmart and like now. But in Norway, I'm sure there are weapons restrictions, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I would say so. Um, albeit we have, we actually have a ton of guns per per citizen. Uh, the thing is that we have strict laws uh, uh, to forbid people that. So it's mostly uh, just for shooting at a shooting range. You have to like have a permit uh, to get uh, a gun permit, and you also you can't use it a lot, really. You can only use it for hunting or going to the gun range, really. It's like no people I. There's rarely you hear about not someone shooting another Norwegian in Norway. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, that came really clear to me. Uh, and JD, uh, and we're actually going to put a clip in this. Like, JD, cut what I say out and put this audio clip in. Um, but what, what it was in during the, I was watching this episode of the Norden. And basically, they had an LAPD officer talk to a Norwegian Oslo police officer. And the Oslo police officer, in all earnestness, earnestness, asked this question How many bullets did you use last year? We used eight. Yeah. Yeah. So. That is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, uh, it's getting. Uh, it's a week from Michael Brown Day, actually. And I live mm. in Ferguson. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's usually a pretty big um, demonstrations going on for uh days on end pretty much every year which mm. i like um okay because especially the this is the first um year that we get to try and elect a new prosecutor uh, who's is rich the... running? actually let's talk about this later um you and i um okay so uh how did like how did breivik get his weapons like he it seems like he had a big stockpile like where did he get it from i'm not really sure where he got it from uh, um, Wikipedia says that he smuggled it in through the Czech Republic, but that's all. We so, like, there, okay, so how would he be able to sm like it, smuggle it? Like, wouldn't the airports catch him, or is there a way that is makes it easy for him to smuggle in goods to Norway? My uh, theory would be that he could he could have uh, driven from Czechoslovakia or. Uh, driven through Sweden uh, and haven't been checked up uh, close enough by our border patrol or whatever is named. Okay, so the border That's patrol, so when driving, they don't check everything, like they don't check your car, like oh, do they make you go through customs when you're driving into the country? I'm not sure. Uh, not all, I'm not sure all of the people get, um, uh -huh. yeah, that's the thing. Okay, well, at least in America, um, when you're driving, even when you're driving to Canada, they literally, like, driving from Canada, they literally, like, check every single thing uh, like, in your car. Like, it's, it takes, an, sometimes it takes hours, but they do that. But, uh, so at least they're uniform, but, mm. but still, American Border Patrol has not, ha, ha, apparently, like, they did an experiment where they missed 95% of the bombs. So, for whatever mm. you say. So, so I guess that it's easy to smuggle it in through if you're just driving um, into Norway, is what you're saying. I would suppose so. Um, we also are very strict on uh, people registering their weapons 
it might he might have gotten away with not registering his weapons too. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too. I'm not too sure about this. It's it's okay. all very unclear, really. By the way, um, for all the Americans who make the really dumb argument about when guns are illegal, only criminals will have the guns. Breivik spent three hundred thousand euros to buy his gun. How much would that cost in America? The, the same arsenal, probably two thousand. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So please get rid of this NRA talking point. Okay. Um, yeah. So then, um, okay. So then, on that day, um, wait, did he live in Oslo at that point? No. Um, at that point, I was very young. So not you, Breivik. Yeah, Breivik. Breivik. Uh, where did he live? He lived like at the ranch, uh, a bit far away from from Oslo. But my theory is that he, uh, where did he live? I'm not sure. Um, um, let's see here. It doesn't say uh, too much of it, so I I'm not sure where he lived. But okay. I read I read that he uh, had he. he did his plans. So the weeks before uh, the bombing, he 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 used a ton of time to make the bomb. Uh, probably like a bit far away uh, in a rural place, like not some some miles away from Oslo, I believe. That's okay. So he drove the um, he drove the bomb into Oslo with his car, right? Yeah, so he okay. rented a car. Okay, um, um, and then, so he exploded the first bomb. Where did he explode the first, like, and what time of the morning is this? This is 15.25, so in the middle of so the day. So about 3.30. Hmm. Right? Yeah, that's correct. So okay. he, pl he placed a car, um, uh, placed a car with a fertilizer bomb about 950 kilos in the government headquarters in Oslo. Okay, is the government headquarters kind of like our Capitol Hill where the Congress hangs out? Uh, I was supposed so. It's where our, it's where our, it's where our bureaucrats and officials uh, usually oh. reside when they're not in the parliament. Oh, okay, this is a residential area? It's or not a residential, it's, it's not a residential building. area. It's an office buildings, right? This office buildings, yes. Okay, so he okay, so that when the bomb went off, was there anyone killed or hurt at that point? So uh, the bomb exploded around uh, uh, three thirty uh, local time, and eight people were killed. were in it right away, and ten people were uh, put in hospital with. Uh, life-threatening injuries. Okay, so at this point, um, the Oslo police and ambulance, all of them like rush to this bomb site because they think this is the main event, not main event, but yeah, is, yeah okay. Hmm. So then, okay, so can you talk about the Utoya? Utoya, can you talk about the Utoya? Like what yeah. was happening in Utoya? Uh, around that time, like this is in general. Hmm. So at the time, I would believe that uh, 
the news had reached the labor. Uh, so at Utaya, uh, labor labor's youth organization had their annual camp uh, during the summer. So I believe they must have got the info uh, through their cell phones at one that, point. That there was an attack on the mainland. Yeah, an attack in the capital. Okay. Mm. So how did Breivik, did Breivik drive his car and then take, like, how did he get to the island? So right after the bombing, uh, he, so when he arrived uh, with the car in the government headquarters, he had a police uniform on him. So what he did um, was that he drove a Fiat Doblo from Oslo to Utøya, where he changed cars, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm. And uh, the labor youth had their annual summer camp. Mm -hmm. And he had um, a blue light on his dashboard, uh, like the cop cars do have, and told um, the labor youth guard on the place that he was from our our secret service and was supposed mm -hmm. to just do a, a routine check at Utøya after the bomb explosion in okay. Oslo. And so then the people operating the boat took him there. Yeah. So he was uh, dressed in a fall, in a fake police uniform and had a false uh, and had a false uh, police ID, I suppose. Okay. Um. I have a. I. I know we can never prove this, but um. I have a like just this theory. Mm. Is there a chance anyone from the police department could have helped him get this? That's, that's, there's not a chance, I believe. It's okay. not, um, it's not a chance uh, anyone would help him because he was alone. He was a loner at this. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I, oh, okay. I, I, I could, okay. So anyways, okay. So now he's on the island. So yeah. What happens? So this afternoon, there was about four, 564 people at the island. Uh, so when he arrived at the island, 517, uh, he went to land at Utøya. And the cops, uh, so he shot two people right away, after, mm -hmm. like four minutes after that, after he arrived. And um, so while he was going on this rampage, mm -hmm. uh, how did the um, how did they uh, figure out that? Um, how did they figure out? I guess how how did the real cops get word? They got the word. Um, so a real uh, a real failure in the cops' uh, mission to this was that they because they arrived after they got. Uh, after got the message that there was a wild uh, man, can't, uh, I, at the same time, I cannot like believe it's like been seven years since this happened. So now, um, Henrik, we are at the island, and mm. he, he what he just starts pull, he pulls out his gun and starts shooting everyone there, right? Yeah, he got like 
I think he got like two guns of some sort, big guns that he's, so he's learned on his own time, I believe. Uh, so a short time after the shots, uh, panic went amongst the youth who tried to escape or hide while, while Breivik went from place to place on the island and shooting people. Witnesses have told how, have told after that how many of the people were tricked by Breivik because he told he was from the police because he had his fake uniform on. So he waved at them and then he just shot them. Okay, um, and apparently this is what uh, one witness says. Breivik apparently shouted, you're gonna die today, Marxists. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's really very far from the truth, uh, saying that they're Marxists as well, because they're not. <laughs> and it's absolutely disgusting. Because they're disgusting. The yeah. youngest one was like 11 who died. Um, mm. It was like 11 oh, to 16 oh, year olds. It was God. a teenage camp. Um, yeah. So, okay, I I think I read somewhere that the police had trouble coming into the island. Like, was that true? That is correct. Why um, was that? They got, um, so there was a commission that was set down called the July 22nd Commission that said in their report uh, that the police... Uh, didn't the cooperation between the cops weren't good enough, and that they did not um, use the resources available to them uh, in a good way? Can you um, it's it like can you maybe explain it in like a more holistic like? Did the cops have trouble getting to the boat, or did the cops have trouble? finding and uh, knowing about it or was there like what what was the like what made it hard for them to come they didn't um they didn't try to they didn't make the resources of the civil boats that were available uh soon enough so there was a lot of there was a lot of tourists and mm -hmm. people in the area who did volunteered to try to save the people on the island and the cops didn't use these boats uh, to their favor. And this uh, whole thing led to the poli police coming to the island way, way, way sooner than Later. they should have done. So they, so to make a point here, um, Breivik came to the island 5.17 local time. Mm -hmm. And when uh, the police arrived, he was... Uh, the, the time was eighteen thirty. It was six thirty-four. Wow! So yeah. So he uh, he had all these kids to himself at the at the island for one hour, and he had enough ammunition for like to have two guns. So once the first gun finished, he took up the second gun and continued shooting. Yeah, that's correct. And the first first uh, uh, in the rescue operation. Uh, a lot of a hundred in desperation uh, the teenagers uh, evacuated by trying to swim first mm -hmm. and the first ambulance came to Utaya Ut about 12 uh, minutes 
after he began firing his shots. So 526. How did uh, they manage to disarm him? Uh, when they came to the island, he was already, uh, he had thrown his weapons away from him and stood with his arms over his head. So like he had his hands up on his head, like a- Oh, he, he had, okay, he agreed to surrender. Yeah. Because he wanted to be on trial and get caught and be, you use a trial as like a martyrdom. Hmm. Right? That's correct. Okay. Mm. Um, so you said you had some friends who were at the camp. Um, tell me how, like, how did it affect them and how did it affect you? Um, yeah, so I had, they were like, uh, I had one relative that was there. Um, and the other day, uh, when it came up as a memory, uh, seven years ago, he had like sent a status to confirm on Facebook that he was alive. And I was a couple of friends that were uh, in danger and stuff, uh, but they managed to get away from the island without being shot or murdered. Oh, wow. And, and to, to explain uh, the desperation of uh, the people on the island while he was there was that he was that they either tried to uh, they tried to hide uh, and many of them just tried to try to play dead mm -hmm. uh, and acting as if there were they were actually dead and many of them were also like shot while they tried to swim to the mainland Oh wow! Yeah, wow. and the way the way people reached the way the the way the teenagers re reached either their parents or uh, police or the ambulances was by calling them. But the thing was that the connection wasn't that good at the island, uh, so it didn't reach enough people uh, in time. Um, so many many of their parents of the people who were dead ended up getting their last message like just a few minutes before they were shot like Aww. yeah so that is it's, it makes me very sad to think about this horrible uh, it's all of us yeah and that's your teenager daughter or teenage son is sen sending you this last message of Hope just a few minutes before dying, you know. It's yeah, really absolutely traumatic. Um, and how how has um so do you think after the attacks, like has Norway done anything to curb right wing extremism? Yeah, that's a trick question. Um, so as I, as I explained a little bit uh, before, um, we tried to, in the immediate aftermath, we went together and as a people to uh, commemorate the victims and standing up against the united hate, uh, standing up against the hate uh, towards, towards that rhetoric uh, so clearly show 
show to the to these uh, teenagers and to the labor party and that was really heartening of course um but and since he was a member of FFP for such a long time there was some questions about him being radicalized in their party and we weren't in looking back at it seven years after we weren't uh, strict enough towards towards FFP to on this because they are still being like they are still curbing their uh, right-wing extremism and racism and bigotry towards immigrants which in you can you can very much see that in Breivik, even though even though we kind of we kind of try to not think about it if you get me we we really try to not we try to unite after the attacks and so FFP kind of didn't get much of the blame but looking at it in hindsight they should have been they should have been um, t- they should have been women the finger towards a lot more and said this is this is not acceptable this guy has been in your party and got these thoughts maybe you should consider uh, your rhetoric and the thing is they haven't at all so it's it's very hard uh, looking back at it we should have, we should have had, we should have held them under scrutiny much more than they than they got and why weren't they and, and what made what made them um what made them like uh not go under scrutiny like what, what why did they get away they tend to a uh, big thing about their their whole existence is that they play the victim all the time so they said like you can't you can't blame FRP for this you can't there is no one there is no one case solution or uh, talking point that says um, that says how there's many pieces to Breivik. Uh, FRP wasn't the only one, as far as I remember it, uh, being explained. And it feels really... Um, we, we were too nice to them at that point, and we've been uh, far too nice in the years after, I believe. Um, what do you suggest? Um, what do you suggest? Um, what do you think is the prescription? I guess, like, if if it were up to you, like, what would you do? Um, what would you do? Like, like, if it was up to you and you could do anything you want, like, what what, what do you think would fix it? Hmm. That's a tricky question. Um, okay, just make your best guess. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, now I'm very biased towards the FRP. Uh, biased against, it, yeah, you don't it, yeah, it's a, it's biased against them. So yeah. I think we should. Um, I'm not sure. We should not. We should denounce their uh, racism whenever it pops up because it has happened uh, in uh, since they entered government. They have just surged more and far more and more to the far rights okay but would it matter like here uh, i mean all the democrats did was call trump racist 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 like would it matter to their supporters or does there need to be something else like 
where is there a material like is there a reason why people have lost hope or are blaming immigrants like like it's like it's like their supporters don't really care if you get me it's like the republicans at many points they just don't care about their poll they just don't care about the rhetoric they just say oh we have to be strict uh, on the integration policy on our integration integrating policy integration policies towards immigrants while covering up all these right-wing garbage uh, talking points, saying they aren't really racist when they say this, and they aren't really... They're just telling the truth, if you get me. And, oh, Sam Harris, okay. <laughs> yeah, so you could tell... I, I could not come up with a solution right now, since oh. I've already kind of denounced them. But my my... I would say that we should denounce as a society the racism and bigotry coming out <laughs> from their party. Okay. Um, um, JD, do you have any questions before? And can you stay for the fun part? I can stay for the fun part, of course. Okay. This is going to be hilarious. Okay. So JD, do you have any questions? It, uh, like this, these kinds of shootings happen in uh, the United States so often, and it never really loses its impact here but no one's with our gun laws and like I'm a, a mm. former gun owner and it just uh gun laws mm. are much stricter also I guess is a thing but uh I don't know I'm just curious about uh like outside perspective on what it looks like does it look like that the United States is on a verge of kind of an internal collapse as far as socially or does it just kind of seem like something that would pass it does it does look to me it looks very uh, it looks very shady at this point um uh it's everything i see from on the internet about uh especially about the republican party but also the democrats uh it's like it, it's it's not it's not normal it wouldn't be normal in any other country than in the u.s if you get me this kind of that kind of behavior, yeah, um, if you get me. So I, yes, I have I have yeah, one so point more about um, uh, the shootings at Utøya. Uh, so the survivors uh, that eventually came uh, from Utøya has been uh, continually harassed and threatened with uh, murder and death over emails, just like. Just like the Sandy Hook massacre, if you Yeah, okay. that's what I was gonna say. That's uh the same exact thing yeah. was happening there. Yeah. And it just And it just of... it's it's still going on. It's... it's still going on that we still some people out there in this country are so evil and cruel that they think that their time is best used harassing victims of the biggest terrorist attack since World War II here in Norway. They found out that, hey, why not send a death threat to the leader of the Labour Youth Party at that point? Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely disgusting. Because he, um... the, the kind of conspiracy nuts in this country has said like, oh, these people did not do enough to help those who eventually were killed. What the hell? Yeah, like, what would that's, you... that's their argumentation. That is how they argue about this. And they send tons of death threats to these people. 
so I read a tweet the other day from a Norwegian account saying that uh, the leader at the time, uh, which is named Eskil Pedersen, he was, he has like the most death threats of um, closed, um, closed like uh, under his statuses on Facebook and stuff. So you see the comments under below, uh, tons of them have been closed because he gets so many uh, threats really because he didn't do not, he did not do enough. And it's so sickening to think about that some people find it good to do this. It's unbelievable. Wow. Hmm. What I do, yeah. Does, uh... But what I, so in, in the past few years, we have seen like a kind of a tribalism in our political discourse, uh, which has further like divided people uh, from each other. Um, it's a lot different than the actual uh, days after, after we, after the attacks where we came together and like 200,000 people gathered at the streets of Oslo, um, creating rose beds for the victims and singing songs and commemorating the victims together and stood united against the hatred. Uh, while now, uh, under this right-wing government we got now, um, the hatred uh, from uh, the normal everyday man in Norway seems like it's, it's, it's not, it's sometimes as hard for the Americans. As for the Americans, it's very hard uh, to be a, a kind of a left-wing Norwegian and look at the racism you often see at Facebook pages of uh, the FIP politicians uh, with, and as I mentioned, the guy the other day who literally uh, said in between the lines that we need a Muslim paragraph and played the victim. He played the victim on uh, national television when he was asked about this. Like, he doesn't denounce it at all and say that the left is too politically correct and the yap 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 speech you hear from uh, everyday Republicans, really. Thank you for listening to Historically. We have many exciting episodes for in the future. We will have an FBI whistleblower. Alex Buzgalin, a scholar and economist who will talk about the fall of the Soviet Union, the shock doctrine, and Jurassic capitalism. But we want to be completely free of corporate sponsors so that we can expose corporate malfeasance, war crimes, and more. We need your help. Please become a patron. It is as cheap as $5 a month and you get exclusive access to our extra show called Oslo Hour where we have an hour of fun, humor, and whatever else comes to our mind. To become a Patreon, go to www.patreon.com slash historic underscore ly.